And you're listening to Punk Theology. This is Season 1, Episode 18. Kicking it off with a little black flag today. I can't go to work. The boss is a jerk. I ain't got time for this school. And the fuck is a fool. Hey, check out the new website, punktheology.com. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not going to get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. He cares very deeply about things being fake. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. When things go wrong, anger is there. This is anger. He will make sure the world knows anger is in control. But what you really need to watch out for is when he's out of control. Get to know all your emotions with Disney Pixar's Inside Out. Well, what about this question? Is, is, is anger a young man's emotion? It's an underlying thing. Not to say that an older, middle-aged guy can't get angry, but it's an underlying thread through Statistic your life. Statistic probability. As an older man, it takes a lot of energy. <laughs> anger, hostility towards the opposition. There's a place you can take that idea of Jesus covering your sins, and that is... I'm hiding underneath Jesus, and but not in a good way. Like in a, I'm hiding my identity. Like who I am as a person is shit, mm-hmm. and so I need to to hide hide who I am as a person underneath Jesus. But that's not. There can't be love that comes out of that. Like that doesn't make you feel loved. No. It makes you feel protected, I guess, like safe-ish. But it doesn't give you a place where you feel like you're accepted. Or in relationship, right? right. That, that's yes. what breaks you're that squeaking, dualism. You're just squeaking the relationship. Right? Yeah. It's transactional. It's you know, transactional. But now I have to. <laughs> you, like, damn it, you're such an asshole in life. But you got Jesus on, so. Yeah, and I, so I sent Jesus, so. You figured out the loop. Well, and it, 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 also oh, stops, it also stops that healing <clears throat> and feeling. Not, I mean, to rhyme it, but it, it's. <laughs> The opposition. Anger. Hostility towards the opposition. I've sat through a lot of sermons about anger. It's been a reoccurring theme, and I think that's because people struggle with it. Right. Um, some of those have been specifically directed at men because they frequently struggle with it more often. It, you know, it, it really boils down to A, you shouldn't be because the Bible has some things to say about anger. We can proof text that all day long. And then, B, it just goes back to the cliche, well, whatever your version that, that your particular light of Christianity translates, well, lay it at Jesus' feet, pray about it, you know, 
give it to God, whatever. Catch Nail phrase. it to the cross. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and then you see guys who continue to struggle with that for years, hearing those sermons, trying to do it. Yeah. And then you've got this faith <coughs> crisis, and then you're asking yourself, well, does it really work? That dissonance is installed. And then, yeah, and, and so yeah. then you're like, okay, well, I'm still going to believe, but I'm really going to stop doing that because it's not working. Anger, hostility towards the opposition. Anger, hostility towards the opposition. Anger, hostility towards the opposition. Like, I wish I was the guy who went and got help a lot earlier, you know? I would have caused a lot less damage. My wife I went through a lot of pain in the economy of my not dealing with my shit. Was there anger in that? Was that one of the underlying Towards things? myself or? Uh, just in the behavior, be it towards oh, yeah. yeah, it's Anger's all, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's uh, like inside-out anger. It's like internal bleeding. I think a lot of sexual compulsive behavior is the internal bleeding of anger. Like it's not coming out, like you're not hitting stuff or yelling at the boss so much, but it's all just internalized. Like don't call me a fucking victim. And then I hated people that used the victim mentality to get what they wanted. Yeah. So for years I would never actually deal with my shit because I didn't want to be a victim. And I knew I'd feel like a victim because I was a fucking victim of that. That happened to me. Now, not living in that victimhood is a, is a different thing. But getting into and processing that is having to tap into that good anger. Because the anger that I was kind of spraying all over the place was, it, it was rooted in some of that, that trauma. So directing that anger towards my abuser and not at everybody else, and realizing the voice of that thing in my head, that guy in my head who is keeping me quiet by telling me how much of a piece of garbage I was, and me believing that. Like, yeah, I should be angry at that guy who did that to that little boy who was me. That's good anger. That's righteous anger, you could say. Yeah. One, two, three, four. Anger, I stood it towards the opposition. 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 Welcome to Punk Theology. This is episode the question mark. <laughs> we don't even know yet. Because we're angry punks. I don't know. That's the that's the episode. We're talking about the topic of anger today. And most punk rocks, it, people, people associate it with anger. Same with metal. Same with rap. <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. Who's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be, be, pass- be passive aggressive? That's right. <laughs> what is your What is your shirt, man? What is What do you got going on there? It's like, uh, uh, it's a schema monk. Is that like an orthodox thing? Yes, it is. There's these guys. I think I don't know, East Coast somewhere. There used to be a bunch of like punk rockers, and they used to have like a, like a zines and stuff like that. And uh, several of them became orthodox, and they put out like kind of a zine concept. What's a zine? 
zine, like a fanzine? You know, uh, right, like a. You ever see those? You go to punk rock shows or hardcore shows back in the day. They would, you know, they'd probably be put together at Kinko's more than anything, and it looked like a bunch of cutouts and pictures, and this yeah. the way it was laid out was really, uh, you know, teenage boys at Kinko's late at night. And, right, right. You know, they sell them for a buck or give them away or something at shows, and so yeah, some of these guys. I think he used to be a part of some punk zine, and uh, some became orthodox, some became clerics, but they started uh, writing some articles and making some shirts and stuff like that. And uh, the the zine or, or the website's called Death to the World. That's kind of their whole shtick. So they're like dark orthodox. No, not at all. No, they're no. just orthodox. I guess the aesthetics might look that way, but right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it has that kind of imagery to it. Death to the world.com. Check them out. They're good Death people. Death to the world. Good articles. Sounds angry. Some of us... Hence the topic. None of us really have much anger going tonight. But yeah, Arthur, like, Arthur like should have anger. It's more like despondency. Arthur should have some anger going tonight, but he, he worked it out already. So Yeah. I told you, I just... This is a tough episode for me because I just don't respond to much in anger. Well... I'm the one that kind of came up with this idea, so maybe I'll kick it off. Kick it off. Kind of there you go, kick it off, Derek. Uh, i got all I sorts of shit to say about anger. So, uh, <laughs> anger was kind of a big deal in my house growing up, because my dad was a pretty angry person. Uh, and it was something he was very open about trying to address and fix, so he was talking about it with us quite a bit. Um, and, but, and it was mostly just just verbal stuff, like like he could just really fly off the handle. Uh, and uh, and so it's one of those things that's just kind of been like anytime somebody brings up anger, uh, I'm kind of hypersensitive to to the topic. Uh, and it actually came up for me the other day. Um, interestingly enough, with a this is a this is Derek tells a story and maybe gets in trouble uh, time, <laughs> but it's not going to be nearly as crude as me jerking off with Tide. So <laughs> uh, I was talking with a couple friend of ours. The other day, um, and they're both they're great people, uh, and the woman in particular is really intelligent and passionate and well-spoken, uh, and she has a good sense of humor, too, which is helpful in where the story goes. Uh, but we're talking about, uh, you know, differences between men and women, which, by the way, I'm not in that camp of, like, this is what men do, this is what women do, like, there's definitely defined roles and there's no crossover, um, uh, because what I'm about to say sounds super sexist, and uh, and so I'm trying to with that disclaimer. Just, yeah, just yeah. disclaimer. Like what Derek's about to say, maybe this sounds sexist, but uh, but, yeah. but so if you're a woman and you're listening, uh, and you're offended by this, keep listening. Please write. I'm going to try. And, yes, <laughs> I'm going to try and, and explain where I'm. I'm, work, I'm working really hard to get we'll there. With Scruff you. McGruff, Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. So and and yeah, so we're talking about and that and just in terms of like decision making uh-huh. and that type of thing. And I said, uh, well, women are more emotional than men. And she did not like me saying that. Uh, And she started to get upset. And me being the asshole that I am pointed out, wow, you're you're having a (laughs) strong emotional reaction to me saying that. Uh, And then she she really wasn't very happy with that. So I had to start uh, explaining where I was coming from or where I was coming from. Uh, And she's right to be offended by that because that is one of those phrases that's been used to really 
uh, abuse women and hold women back. Sure. It's like, oh, you can't make decisions. You're yeah. just too emotional. Like, and, and it's used all the time to, to you know, not women, give women to jobs. Diminish. To diminish, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, and, but my point was that um, I think, again, like in a spectrum, like statistically speaking, I think women tend to be more emotional than men, both because of cultural reasons and just physiological reasons. And I think that that's actually a good thing because I think men tend to spend almost all of their time really in the frontal cortex. When the frontal cortex doesn't hold any emotions. And so when you just react to everything that happens in your life using the frontal cortex, you're really not using the rest of your brain to engage that problem. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're engaging it like a computer would engage it. Pure logic, right? Or not pure logic, but close to pure logic. Uh, you're, you know, this is right, this is wrong. You're doing it with concepts. Um, right. and, and the place of your brain that actually <clears throat> feels emotion is the hippocampus. And um, women have a much more balanced brain in how they process information, and that it really, like, information comes in and it affects all of the areas of their brain equally, whereas a man, it comes in and it really just kind of rests in the frontal cortex. And that, and so... Um, uh, so having this conversation with your friend. Yeah, right. Uh, and so I started to explain Who's a that. female? Uh, yes, who is a female, right. Who, and who's slightly offended. Who was not slightly offended? Who was very, very, play by very play. offended. <laughs> Prove their point, <laughs> right? And, 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 and was, but was to her credit able right. to sit and listen to me actually make this explanation, um, which, uh, from an evolutionary standpoint, is interesting. The difference between processing things with your entire brain and, and your um, and just your frontal cortex. And I kind of brought up the point, like, like if you just process everything with your frontal cortex, it's kind of like the guy that only knows how to use a hammer. And so every pro- every problem that comes up, he just tries to fix it with a hammer. And like you know, hey, like oh, that's a screw. I can just pound that in with a hammer. Like it'll work. Uh, and whereas you know, you're better off if you use all the tools that are given to you. And I think a female mind is more likely to be balanced in that way. And so, okay, so how does that relate to anger? I think the reason that I was bringing that up uh, as how to do with anger is because anger is not a primary emotion. Anger is not felt in the hyper... The fucking AIDS! <laughs> Sorry, I just... You just go... You've been waiting all day to do that. A, uh, <laughs> yeah, like my angry self come out. No, go ahead. Anger isn't processed in the hippocampus. It's, it's a frontal lobe thing. So what's actually happening uh, that happens much more commonly in men, and you'll uh, kind of recognize this as I keep talking is that they feel hurt or they feel anger I mean not anger, they feel hurt or they feel fear or they feel threatened but instead of sitting and just feeling that for a couple of minutes and resting in it, they instantly jump into anger and anger is action oriented like, mm-hmm. like okay I'm going to take that information I'm going to start figuring out what to do about it which from an evolutionary standpoint was very helpful for men because they can make very quick split-second decisions on very little information, which is helpful on a battlefield, right, where if you don't make a split-second decision um, one way or another based on logic, you'll die. But in making long-term, well-thought-out, planned decisions, it's pretty rather really worthless, actually, because it tends to, to force you to jump to conclusions and assumptions with very little data whereas a female mind is much more likely to sit 
and process the emotions and go through a feeling and then slowly and gradually work her way into a place where she engages the frontal lobe and begins to logically work through all the things that she just felt. Uh, which is why a lot of times women will start crying and you say what's wrong and they can't tell you what's wrong. It's because they actually need like a minute or two to just feel the feeling before they process it. And this is where men get all upset and angry, which is mm. funny because they instantly get upset and angry. They can, they can explain to you why they're upset and angry, uh, but they don't sit and feel it. Um, and they get upset with women and abuse women because women don't understand, you know, and, and that's where that comes from. Of Women are just so emotional because they don't understand where their emotions coming from. But actually in terms of processing and making long-term decisions, which it's been, you know, proven over many studies that women tend to make better long-term decisions than men do uh, and are able to take more information in and make more nuanced decisions than men because men tend to think more dualistically. Um, and so... And so that's kind of where I, I rested in that and, and am digging in in my own ex- understanding of anger. Because uh, I don't, I used to be a very angry kid, but I, at some point I feared to just turn it off and be numb. But I still do the thing where I feel something for half a second and then instantly bring it forward into the world of logic. Um, and it may not even be half a second, it may, it may be so brief that I'm feeling that that I don't even recognize the fact that I'm feeling it. I just jump to a fact of where I'm handling it logically or being angry about it or thinking about it or processing it. But I don't take a minute to sit and just feel and my feel emotions. Yeah. I would say how much of this is cultural conditioning. Right. So that's and I track with you about, about you know the brain science. And there's also uh, neurology that says that women have way more connective tissues between both halves of their brain than men do. So that has, you know, uh, women are smarter than men. <laughs> I'll just say it. I'll throw it out there. Um, but as far as men swallowing down their anger, I guess I would challenge how much of that is is cultural conditioning as well, opposed to just we, we don't react because we have to, you know, because we have to think about it. Or our anger builds up like a bottle and then it, it just, you know, releases like an orgasm, Right. Right, it's one of those things where the, the liberal likes to say it's all cultural, and we can just fix it if we fix the culture, and the conservative likes to say it's all physiological and we'll never fix it, so why bother trying? And in reality is it's both. It's a little bit yeah, both. It's a little and, involved. And for yeah. every person, it's a completely different spectrum. Right. Some people are really mostly culture, and some people are really mostly physiological, <clears throat> and then there's everything in between. It's a big bell curve, big, broad bell curve. There's studies in social psychology that are really interesting coming out of like studying like African tribes and how their young men are a lot healthier than ours because in some of these tribes they are allowed to feel stuff and they and they brought out on hunts and when they kill something they don't just go well it's another paycheck you know no they have a party and and the young men are brought in you know they're they're uh, there's a word for that. that I well, there's usually remember. a ritual, too. Yeah, there's a ritual. I mean, young men are, like are feel like they're part of the tribe. Yeah. Exactly. And and they feel that. So they, they let themselves feel these wins and the losses. Like Seth was talking about when he was here, when, when they lose somebody in the family, everybody is, you know, is in mourning. And they come together in mourning. And they all feel it together, men and women. So stuff like that is really interesting to me because I, I think that as we progress or evolve as a culture, we're, we're becoming less healthy at handling emotion. 
for example, right? And I, I mean, part of it, this is another thing that could get me in trouble, <laughs> is that part of it, I think, tends to be racial and that white people really value logic and really, de- like, the classic is like the Irish family, right? Like, we oh. never talk about emotions, like, ever, ever type of thing. Like, you just swallow that down. Or, like, you know, like the German heritage. Like, just pure logic. Live in the land of logic. Don't feel anything. Which, from a technological standpoint, gave us, got us to the point where we could be dominant. But from a personal health standpoint, we're shoving down the antidepressants and, you know, we're all overweight. And Wasn't the Irish that invented the still? Right? still. Yeah, but the problem is... The difference between the Irish and the Germans are when they drink, the Irish throw fists. <laughs> Germans drop bombs? <laughs> well, they, they first formulate a plan to drop the bombs. What was the, what was the quote about the Irish? God created alcohol so the Irish wouldn't take over the world? <laughs> I, like, yeah. I tend to follow stories and personal narratives. That's what interests me, and that's where I tend to click. So when you say you grew up in that kind of home environment where your dad was angry and volatile... Well, do you know what was underneath that? Uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff underneath that. Um, we talked about that some, but just from me knowing your story, but but just... Um, I think my dad was an incredibly passionate mm-hmm. person. Uh, he had lots and lots of emotions. And my mom is really frightened by emotions. So there was a lot of pressure from her mm-hmm. to not really have emotions at times. And so, and that's... What you know? That's what happens when you bottle up passionate emotions. Is it blows out of you all of a sudden? Um, was there a catalyst or something to move him through it, or did he just outgrow it? Uh just a lot of pain. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, just you know, eventually he just this pain softened him to the point where he just didn't mm. do it as much anymore. Um, pain, the best of teachers. <laughs> oh, isn't yeah. it? But that's where the stories come in too, because I think everyone has you know these subconscious layers of how their anger tends to flow out eventually. Studying uh, sexual dysfunction, sexual compulsive behavior over the years, there's there's so much of our sexual behavior that's tied to anger as well, especially in men, which I find really interesting. Much like blowing a load, right? <laughs> Guys blow up, get really angry. We stuff our emotions until there's a there's an explosive event. You get a big old rush when you do it. Oh yeah, yeah. You get, you feel that man, big time. And sometimes if you don't feel a whole lot in your life, getting angry is not something you look forward to, but something that just starts. It starts to create a a cycle, and just like sexual addiction, where addiction, right, what compulsive behavior, whatever the new buzzword is. Um, that act, right, even if you don't want it in your life, it keeps coming because of the the, the spinning. I drew a, a little graph today about this. I was thinking about this and going through some notes on, on anger because this is something I have had to, to deal with throughout my life. I've had angry outbursts that um, land me in jail. Was I ever in jail for... No, I don't think I was ever in jail for a fight. I did get in a fight and uh, ended up having my jaw broke, and I was in the hospital. Had my jaw wired shut all summer. That that kind of sucked. Probably lost weight. That's a good diet. Kind of. <laughs> well, I drank. I drank <laughs> like I drank spaghetti once. I put spaghetti <laughs> in a blender. In <laughs> it smelled terrific. It looked like throw up. That's what they do in the hospitals. <laughs> 
so anyway, Agra for me is a is a you know it's my friend. I don't know. I have a relationship with anger, and I'm learning to work through that still today. Um, but it, so I drew this little this little graphic, and it's fueled by rockets. And if you think of a if you think of a a spinning like wheel, you know those things, those fireworks. You light the fuse, and they spin. Um, this has four pieces to it and the the first one is the the explosive event right that's usually why someone goes to like a psychologist or something and say hey i have an anger problem and the reason they even enter into dealing with their anger problem is because of some explosive event or you know their spouse says and this is also um ironically the same thing with sexual compulsive behavior the two reasons why men go to I think the main reasons men go to a therapist or a counselor are their spouse is ready to leave or they've lost their job. It's affecting their job. And with both sexual addiction or sexual compulsive behavior and, and anger, outbursts of anger, that, that's usually the case. They go in, all right, something life-altering has happened that I, I'm not in control of, really. And they can finally admit that, usually. So then the, after the explosive event is guilt and shame. Um, after that, and guilt and shame is usually fueled by our view of the other a lot of times. Some of it's fueled by judgment. Uh, isolation and aloneness usually follow the guilt and shame. Um, but then judgment has us feel like we can be out in the world and, and engage with the world, you know? Um, I love Henry Rowland's talk on cynicism. Mm-hmm. It's that clip from that talk he did is really good. You know, if you can be cynical... Like it's just a it's just a, a cowardly way. Like people suck. He talks about that. Those two words, people suck, is a great way of not having to deal with relationships. Right. right. I can put those people in that place and just. And then there's uh, control. Um, the more I have control, the more I feel uh, innately superior over others. And my judgment can continue to go, but that never works because if you feel like you have control, eventually you're going to get frustrated. Frustration is always birthed out of lack of control. Yeah, or uh, it's birthed out of like people aren't doing what I want. Right. It's, it's birthed out of unmet expectations. I have a picture in my head on how this is supposed to go. Yeah, it's uh, not going the direction exactly that I had in my head. And so that frustration turns into the explosive event, and then the circle continues. Then we go back to shame and guilt, loneliness, isolation, back to judgment, explosive event, and it goes on and on and on until you know you eventually learn or get some counsel or get some help to break the cycle. Uh, that, that's been my my life so so you still journey anyway do people remind you of the past mm, yeah family yeah me too mm-hmm. it's like can't, I'm not that man anymore yeah <clears throat> no but that was so much part of our lives that it's kind of still there yeah how does that what does that do to you it triggers the shame and regret that's the fuel of the rocket that I have next uh-huh. to that. Because you can't bullshit your family. No. Because no. <laughs> you talk about... You can, see, you talk about being angry. Yeah. What's... So that, that, that's a theme for you? And yeah. And for me, it's it's triggered by three. And that was interesting what Derek was saying. For me, it's it's one of three. It's either fear, pain, or frustration. Uh, Isn't physical pain? or Emotional pain, emotional pain. more so than physical pain. Uh, fear of, of expectations... Um, frustration that I should be able to figure this out and I can't. And for me, the big help 
has been coming into understanding my feelings. Okay, I can feel the frustration level building. Uh, I can feel the fear building. Um, last night, one o'clock, my youngest wasn't home yet, and uh, she'd stayed for a work party afterwards. And of course, in my head, I I fear for her. Mm -hmm. I fear of work. She was in Seattle. She was going to ride the bus back to Linwood, get on the park and ride it. One o'clock, and I'd ask her, "Do you want me to come and get you? I will come. I'll meet you there. You tell me what time. I will be there to make sure you get to your car." No, I'll be fine, Dad. So, in my head, the fear is building, and then the frustration is building because I want this to be controlled, and I could feel it. And so, for me to help in that was understand what I was feeling, feel it, and then she texted me back. She goes, "I'm almost home." She was staying with a boyfriend uh, whose grandmother had just passed away. So she was. And your daughter's an adult. So yeah, she's twenty-two. Right? She's twenty-two. That's so young, though. Yeah. It's it's so it's different. <laughs> <laughs> she's living at home now, and she lived for four years at college. And this kind of stuff went on all the time at college, but because she wasn't under my roof, right? Right. And that fear was building was my frustration that why are you home, yeah. and fear of what could happen. And your mind races. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, well, her car was vandalized at the parking ride, and she's going to get there at 1 o'clock and find that all the windows broke out, her stereo's gone, and everything. And then, no, she, by the time I'm just feeling it, you know, and of course I am freaking wide awake yeah. now at 1 o'clock. It's funny how motion gets, or, or yeah. imagination gets a hold yes. of yeah. those emotions. Yeah. It starts well, drawing little pictures. And that's and what stuff. I mean by the frontal cortex. Yeah. Is imagination and creativity is all in the frontal cortex. So it's taking those emotions from the, the hippocampus, and it's and it's bring it into the world of concepts. Like, oh, well, what happens if this emotion is played out? And the interesting yeah. thing we're talking about. So frustration. Uh, Pain and fear, those are all what I would qualify as primary emotions. Mm -hmm. They occur in the hippocampus. And the interesting thing is if you communicate any of those to the person that you're feeling them towards, uh, they feel loved. If you do it via anger, they feel shame. Yes. So if you can say, that made me really scared, they interpret that as, oh, wow, like I'm really valuable to this person. And... And me doing that put them in a place where they're really worried about me. Yeah. And if you say, you fucking screwed up and you ruined this for me, and then all of a sudden it's, oh, wow, this person really doesn't like me. And, and there's something inside of me that's ugly that they're reacting to and wonder what that is. And that's the only difference between those two is saying what you're feeling versus saying what you're you know, thinking, basically. And anger is saying what you're thinking. And, and then that emotional explanation is just saying what you're feeling. Ten years ago, I would have said what I was thinking. Right. And last night I did. I, it's okay, honey. I was just worried. And that's and she, again, thanked me today for being there and letting her boyfriend spend the night at the house. And it, It's understanding that, those feelings. And just uh, speaking the truth yeah. of that anger. Like, I was really angry, but it's because... I was afraid, and my brain took me into this really scary place. Yeah, that's good. And it good. didn't happen. Yeah. But it's good to say that. Right. It's important to say It's it. important to say that, yeah, because then people get to process how you're feeling. Like, they, she knows how you feel, not 
Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I'm your hyper-controlling dad, and you're yeah. under my roof. And Micromanaging. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're under my roof now. Well, you got to the line. My wife. We got rules here. She texted my wife. My wife had failed to tell me. So I'm thinking, wait, what's going on? There's a whole other. Where is Sarah? And then, no, and just, again, what I was thinking, what I was feeling, and I'm so glad I didn't because it's just, it was good. You know, she got home shortly thereafter, and, again, we talked tonight a minute after I got home, and it, it, was, it was good. And that's for me, and I don't know if there was an event that, that triggered my moving from that into processing what I feel. I can still feel there will be certain things I'll do that I think I should be able to do easily, and uh, I'll feel the frustration. I'll feel the anger starting to rise, and I'll just I'll feel it, and yeah. I can feel it also starting to dissipate. It's just learning. Yeah. Sometimes I feel it. I, I was somebody explained this to me, counselor, some years ago. Like I can almost feel it, and I'll shake it. Like it's coming down my arm, like blood is running down my arm, and I'm shaking it. I'm actually shaking it off because I get that too. I'll feel that. I'm like, okay, you know, and, and just processing it in my head while I'm feeling it. Everything's okay, you know, like in your situation. My daughter's, you know, she communicated, it's okay. I'm just feeling this. This is just okay. You know, and it's not, not that you're stuffing it and not that you're hitting a pillow or something either, but you're letting it, you're really? letting that pass out of your body. I think emotion is kind of like a wave. And then it comes in Mm -hmm. and it rises and then fairly slowly and then falls fairly slowly. And if you choose to arrest it in anger, you've frozen it right at the peak Uh of that emotion. So that so the emotion doesn't have a chance to dissipate. And all of a sudden you can you can drag that emotion into hours and hours and hours of anger. Where if you just let yourself feel it, it would have been two minutes of up and then, and then back down again, and you would have been fine. But because you chose to freeze that emotion at the peak in your brain, now all of a sudden you're just stuck there at, at this peak emotion of, of fear and anxiety. Well, it's and trauma functions that way, too. right? Well, it's interesting too. The body heaps a score. Oh, that's yeah. I was just pivoting the R chapter on that. So because we'll I I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis thirty five years ago, and it's in the last ten years that I have felt emotion. I remember going back, going to my GI doctor back at the time and I would come out of there because he would just, he was more like a therapist. He'd say, what are you feeling? I go, oh, I'm really freaking frustrated here because I'm taking a dump about 10 times a day and I can't plan anything because I gotta know where the bathrooms are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I'd always, I'd notice after the fact, I felt really good. I felt lighter because I was able to express and without judgment, what mm-hmm. I was feeling. And then in the last 10 years, my health has been better than it's been than I can ever remember because I'm not storing it yeah. in my mind anyway. I'm not saying that be, I'm not a medical doctor, but to know for me, the body's keeping the score of my There's a lot of science behind stomach. that. Yeah, that's true. So how about you, Chuck? How you how you processing? What do you feel, man? What are you feeling right now? Nothing. <laughs> no, <clears throat> my anger is more of a like a fix it kind of anger. You know, it's um, I get angry with my mother all the time. She just she likes to bitch, and that's you know there's a place for it, I guess, and um, sometimes there isn't. And it's just when you complain about the same 
event over and over and over again. You just like mom, you know, like take the fucking trash out. You know, it's like <clears throat> you're complaining because your kitchen stinks. It's like, well, have you taken the trash out? You know, it's like, well, no. Well, why don't you start there? And that's I, I get angry with people just because it's they just want to talk about I don't know bitching. And Boy, just, you sound a lot like an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can relate very strongly right? to all those um, feelings. <clears throat> fix the problem. Yeah, Stop complaining. It. Shut up. And, <laughs> yeah, like we we get what the problem is. What are you trying to do to solve? Why it? are like, you still talking? Yeah. Um, we have identified the up, problem though, and the solution. Growing up, I was just a. I say typical, but it wasn't typical at all. I was over the top. Um, I blew up at everything. I didn't know how to deal with the minute things that were different. Um, Did it get you in trouble? <gasps> Not yeah. just with your parents, but no, I mean, no. outside of your everywhere. Family. Yeah, school, police, mm. work. I was <clears throat> caddied for a long time. Um, if it wasn't for the fact that I knew the pro and that I was good at golf, I should have been fired a ton of times. Um, just out on the golf course, and guys would, you know, be bitching about their golf swing, and I just explained to them that, well, you need to do this, this, and this. And they'd keep bitching, and I just dump out their clubs and say, "Fuck you," you know, like carry on fucking clubs and walk <laughs> out. And then I'd, but I'd show up to work the next day, kind of thing. And um, more recently, said, you gotta go, Chuck, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty much what it was. It's like, yeah, it's like, listen, we know he's an asshole. But you can't dump his clubs out in the, you know, the, the blackberries <laughs> right. and fucking tell him to go carry his own fucking clubs and then walk off. Like, it doesn't and, work that way. It it's, like, well, it's, it's like, yeah. Like, I'm not fired. Uh, Apparently it does work. I got fired from the same job three times and showed up the next day every time. It was just, I don't know, I, I beat to a different drum and that aspect. <laughs> I didn't care. Right. Um, but more recently, though, it's, I found that I don't, it's not that I don't get angry, because I do, um, but I've been learning to sit in it and figure out why am I actually angry. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense, logically. So what's the root of the problem? Right. And then I've been trying to tap into these set feelings yeah. that you guys keep talking about. And it's, it's a rough road. It's fun, though. It's very rough, because that's the way I was. Yeah. It's free. <clears throat> it is, but it's scary. Yeah, it is. Because you're going to be facing crap that you're. I think wanted to pet in that back closet. I think yeah. scary is your ego talking, though. Yeah. Because yeah. it's. I've noticed that I. It's healthier, to work through the emotions rather than lead with the anger. Yeah, I think. You don't piss a lot of people off. Sorry, go ahead. Part of the reason, <clears throat> I mean, I wouldn't say the only reason. It's not true for everybody, but. It's just the brain telling itself it's going to be scary. Mm-hmm. But it's, at no point is it actually like, oh, wow, this is super scary. It's mostly the brain saying this is going to be scary. The anticipatory. Right, the anticipation that it's going to be scary at some point. But there's never any, like, payout of, wow, that was actually really scary. Yeah. It's just the brain saying, yeah. imagining that it's going to be scary. Well, how much of the stuff that was scary do we look back on now and laugh at? No, it's in Bell's book. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as we look back at, at our trauma at the time, or a, a supposedly an incredibly embarrassing moment, we look back now and can laugh about it and talk about it. But at the time, it's overwhelming. Oh, yeah. It is like the biggest mistake I've ever made. Yeah. You no, know, I was hit on. And those the, are some of the, the fun, best stories, too. Yeah. 
is the ones that when you're going through it, it's not funny at all. It's 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 it hurts. Like when you jerk off with Tide. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's one of those stories. I was fired from a lot of jobs as well. I'm self-employed today, and I haven't had a normal job in like 25 years because of the fact that I keep getting fired. I have fired myself, actually, but then I end up like Chuck showing up the next day. <laughs> it, was, it was great. I was selling cars for a summer, and the used cars manager, he was an idiot, to say the least. He um, wasn't very intelligent, lied to people, but for some reason he worked there. I had my car. My good car salesman. <laughs> yeah, I had my car in for service, and <clears throat> somehow it got this huge dent on the front fender. And I just came to him because he was the one that was there, and I didn't know any guys in service. And he was just like, "Well, how do I know that it wasn't dented before?" And I'm like, "Hmm, I guess you fucking don't, you know." Like, but don't be an asshole. Well, I said that while he was walking away. <laughs> and he turned around and he was like, why don't you be a man and say something to my face if you're going to say it? And so I just walked up and I was like, you're an asshole. You know, real loud. <laughs> Everybody can you know, hear me and stuff. And he's just like, you can go home. I'm like, good. I, great. I get to go home early. So the next day, you know, I show up and he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? You know, like when I said go home, that was indefinite. You know, I'm like, well, your name ain't on the building. So <laughs> you said that? Yeah. yeah. Dang. I was, yeah, I was raw. Yeah. To say the least. But it's, I don't know, it's different. I had a few of those, too. I had a guy, so I sold pizza for years. I'll explain what that looks like. <clears throat> I went to big companies, construction sites, stuff like that, and I'd show up with a van full of pizza, like 20, 30 pizzas at lunchtime. You know, and I'd pull up next to the lunch truck or whatever and say, hey, I've got, like, medium-sized pizzas for, like, $5. Which was a good deal, and I made like two, two dollars, three dollars a box on commission. Which people go, that's not very much money. But when you're selling, you know, a hundred, two hundred pieces a day, it's it's pretty good money. But I flourished as the angry person in that job because the competition. That's an interesting thing about we were talking about branding and business and how some of these you know Christian ideas are being used in like marketing and stuff. Well, in my business, I was like I want to destroy the competition. I remember I had one guy come out of a a, a mall once, like a mini mall, and I'm at this construction site, and he's like, um, "Sir, I'm at this pizza place over here, and I have the rights to this area." <laughs> and I'm like, "I'm like." Yeah. He goes, he goes, yeah, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave. And I go, dude, I'm your competition, and my goal is to see a four-leaf sign in your window. <laughs> I said, why don't you go the fuck away? Like, fuck you. This is my business. This is my place. You want to make a better deal and come out here with a van and show up right where these guys are getting off work? You can do so. But until that happens, I'm here, and you're going to have to deal with me. And uh, just feeling really proud of myself for that. But it's interesting how business works like that, right? In, in some ways in business, if you're an asshole, if you're really angry, um, you can flourish in business. You were channeling your inner Trump. Oh, maybe. No, you were just an asshole. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think leading with anger, though, is it's not always bad. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it does get what you, what you want often. Correct, but it could be healthy too. Um, so I was at the gas station yesterday, you know, pumping fuel, and the, this guy came over and asked me if I had change, or if I had change. He needed to get on the bus. I was like, "Well, no, I don't. You know, like I, 
kid pretty much and so I'm you know millennial right we live on credit cards and debit cards like we don't know what cash is Um, and he walked over to this lady that was on the telephone and he's you know trying to talk to her and she's like you know kind of like leave me alone I'm on the telephone and I got angry there and I led with it and I think it was okay in the realm of you know I just asked him if he knew who she was now granted I didn't ask him that way it was more of a direct do you know who like who this person is leave her the fuck alone kind of thing um and not that I'm patting myself on the back, I just think sometimes anger is okay to lead with that yeah. in certain situations. I think Arthur touched on trauma as well, and something I've learned, and, and Chuck and I... Here's another thing I was angry about. Um, Chuck and I, we've talked about this before, are uh, adult survivors of childhood sexual assault, or sexual abuse. Um, one of the things I hated was victims. Like, don't call me a fucking victim. And then I hated people that used the victim mentality to get what they wanted. Yeah. So for years, I would never actually deal with my shit because I didn't want to be a victim. And I knew I'd feel like a victim because I was a fucking victim of that. That happened to me. Now, not living in that victimhood is a, is a different thing, but getting into and processing that is having to tap into that good anger. Because the anger that I was kind of spraying all over the place was it, it was rooted in some of that that trauma that happened to me as a kid so directing that anger towards my abuser and not at everybody else and realizing the voice of that thing in my head that guy in my head who is keeping me quiet by telling me how much of a piece of garbage I was and me believing that like yeah I should be angry at that guy who did that to that little boy who was me that's good anger that's righteous anger you could say yeah um <clears throat> Christians throw that word around. I have issues with that word, well, but in that term, what's oh sure, well, yeah. yeah. So, so there, there's anger that's in response to petty frustration, and, yeah. and that's ugly and, and and cheap. But there's anger that's justified. I'll use that rather than righteous. Justified. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think anger. You know, one of the things that I know for myself, uh, I haven't struggled with outbursts of anger that, that's I don't know my, my upbringing just led me to scuff all my emotions including that one so I've never really struggled with with really losing it um, I can be a real smart ass but I'm probably not going to be angry but there's a the way that I know that I that I have an anger, anger reflex is that I get very angry in the face of great injustice mm-hmm. yeah um you know, I, I, I dabbled uh, in a, for a year in the foster care system and just witnessed a tragic story for a couple girls through it. And I spent the better part of a year really angry. Um, Wanting to stay away from the foster system because of it? No, uh, I, was, I was fighting the foster system uh-huh. to, protect the, to protect one of the, the children that had been placed with me. Um, from from very real danger that the system didn't want to acknowledge, they were ashamed that they had made mistakes. They were trying to cover it up, and I wasn't going to let that happen. And that has uh, that has since cost me. Um, I'm I'm pretty much an enemy of the foster care system in my city, but it was worth it because at the time I was protecting a very young girl. Yeah, and that's good. And. If you Google Washington State 
um, foster care and abuse. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of news stories on that. Like, we don't have a really good foster system in this state, unfortunately, and hopefully the more of those stories come out, and the more the people way. like you stand up. Well, I, nobody change. knows our story because there's a legal muzzle on you. You sign paperwork not to talk about it. Wow. I'm going to pick on you for a second, Arthur. When you say great injustice, what does that look like to you? Or I guess what is not a great injustice? Well, like a minor injustice? Yeah. Just curious on where you go. You know, someone cuts you off in traffic. Yeah. That's, you know, that's that's, that's, that's minor. minor. Okay. That's, that's, so yeah. where where is that line, though, in where does minor and great, you know, meet? Hell if I know. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying those little things don't usually drive me to anger, but yeah. the things that do, things like putting a child at risk, yeah, that, that's going to piss me off. Uh, I, I've been in three fistfights in my life. Every single one of them were fighting on someone else's behalf. Yeah. Um, you know, some girl at a concert telling a guy to quit groping her, and he continues. So, oh, God. You know, I got in a fight. Yeah. Um, my friend in junior high is getting beat up after school by his brother that's like four years older. So I join in, and together we take him down. The, you know, that kind of thing where people are... There's just a situation that's unjust and, and cruel, and I get angry about that. One of the good things about anger is that it motivates action. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's one of the good things and also one of the worst things about it. Because, because sometimes the action is good, and, uh, and the downside to anger, though, is it usually... Uh, it makes you want to take action. It makes you want to take action now. But yeah. the downside to that is you haven't gathered enough information to actually know if you have the situation right. Typically, if you're if you're really acting as fast as your anger wants you to act, and that's where it gets dangerous. Well, that, that, that year I spent angry yeah. defending right. a child in the foster care system. I recall like treating it like a fire that was going out, and I would stoke it on right. purpose. Right. I would have to go in to a meeting and stand my ground and stand up to people and I purposely get myself riled up beforehand yeah and it can be valuable when it's not rash it wants to do something right now and just screw all the rules and screw all the bureaucrats and screw all the people that make decisions I'm just going to get my way because you don't understand yeah. well you can you can if, if you're not in that place of anger and strong emotion there's a part of you that just can let things go, especially if it's not affecting you. If you, you know, right. if you're trying to defend someone else and and you're not passionate about it and you're losing your passion, at some point you can just kind of concede and be like, "Well, I did everything I could do." So, what's the difference between passion and anger? Well, I had the question, and Steve was talking. What he was describing sounded more like anxiety to me. You know, so I, I yeah, was, we may not have enough words floating around. <laughs> yeah, more word algebra. English sucks. English yeah. does suck. There's so many overlaps with these emotions as well. Yeah. So, well, you were touching on where you. I wrote as one of the notes I wrote down was I made me angry um, for a long time too. Like if I felt, I felt that too. Like if I'm losing my passion, I need to get more angrier. <laughs> <laughs> in order to stoke that, I think I still I still um, resonate with some of that. That's where I resonate with Henry Rollins. 
just listening to him talk about anger and how it's it's just punching through whatever situation you're in and using anger as, as fuel. Is that good or bad? I was asking that to therapist Susan and and she uh, she gave me some paperwork on anger as the jet plane passes by. Um, but I think that a lot of it was self a lot of it is self-preservation. How much of that is my ego trying to keep everything you know homeostasis clear, you know. Uh, but as I get less angry, sometimes I feel like I'm losing my passion. And I don't like that. I don't like that feeling. I don't want to go numb or I don't think it's numbness. I don't want to be Mr. fucking lotus position guy wearing a fucking robe, you know, sitting there dude. chanting. I don't want I don't want I don't want to be that guy. Like sorry. You be the, dude? Like, the dude well the dude got angry. The dude the dude is the dude, man. Um I'm the dude man. Hey, I'm the dude, man. So, we're going to take a break and uh, get back to this uh, after this lovely lovely bumper of sound. There you go. I want my anger to be healthy. There's a line in that that Metallica song, Saint Anger, that's uh, resonating with me. Um, Anger is sort of like smoking cigars, I think. Like long-term, it can cause heart disease. Slow burn. But as we were just talking earlier about... it feels really good when you're doing it. Yeah, <laughs> and you breathe smoke. So you, you were saying, fire. yeah, you breathe fire. Yeah, you breathe right? fire. Yeah, yes, you're getting it out. You're getting it out of your system. I think that's why. I remember Leo used to say that. Like Russ, you need like a exercise or something. You need to do something. Like have a one of those punching bags in your basement or something, just to <laughs> just to hit that thing. Um, not that that's getting your anger out, but just exercise in general tends to also help with that stuff. It helps with people with sexual compulsive behavior as well. But why would you exercise? That's kind of a behavior mod type of stuff. But you were going to say something about my anger. Oh, well, you were saying how you didn't want to lose an edge and you didn't want to be like the guy. Yeah, I don't want to be angry, but at the same time, I don't want to be just flatline. I don't want to be Mr. Sitting on a Pillow. Yeah. So I I was looking into this and uh, 
Dan Harris in his book, 10% Happier, which is an excellent book, just a really entertaining read about his story. And he's an ABC News correspondent who had a panic attack live on air. You can YouTube it, and it's really interesting. I mean, like 4 million people or something, and he's having a panic attack just live on on the news. And he writes this book about his story and all the interesting people he's interacted with, and he embarked on uh, discovering meditation is... Uh, the catalyst for his health and healing in in middle age uh, years, and I've gleaned a lot from his work and some things that um, that he's putting out there. And one thing he talks about in his book is that very thing: like, hey, I'm an ambitious guy. I'm in New York City. I'm with all these heavyweights, like you know Peter Jennings, Diane Sawyer, and I want to be uh, a heavy hitter too. And it's competitive, and it's big network news. And that was one of his big dilemmas: is I don't want to lose my edge, right? And uh, and he's met with you know several influential meditation teachers and and uh, people who have pioneered mindfulness education in the United States, kind of bringing a lot of that into psychology and psychological practices with mindfulness is really common now. I mean, it's really like a buzzword. Mindfulness yeah, yeah. is kind of and I practice that as well. Yeah. Well, be careful because you just might that might make you a little chill. But <laughs> and it is. I think it really is. But 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 here's the thing, is. The, the way to around that dilemma is it's okay to okay what what meditation what mindfulness does essentially is it gives you some space to respond instead of react so anger is volatile anger is reactionary mm-hmm. what that headspace does is it lessens that and it's like no uh, I can recognize the space between the stimulus and and my Desire to so you like, build a better rhythm is what you're saying. I'm saying there's space between the right. between the stimulus and the response, so it's not reactive. Now you have a choice, and you can respond instead of react. Right. That's what it does. You can probably respond more effectively as well. Yeah, absolutely. When you're not, you know, well, a chosen response rather than mm-hmm. a reaction. Which it, yes, is, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But inherently, by I think by definition, lacking control. Right. right. And that's where I think some of the smart-ass stuff, like you were talking about, when I get angry, I get smart-ass. I think it's where a lot of comedians go because I think they can take that headspace and think of something funny to say. Some of that's not always healthy because there's some comedians who are really fucked they're up. They're exercising people. some demons. But they are. Exactly. It's just a yeah. control thing because if you can be funny like that and like really bitty, like biting, yeah. like you, can take, you can take someone who's angry and just cut them to ribbons. Mm-hmm. Like you can, you can, you can take someone and just, just, you know, twist them around and get them all messed up. And you have like an absolute, like you feel like the puppet, puppet master in that moment. Because I've done this to people, where everything they throw at you, you just it just bounces off of you and slams right back into them. Right. And it feels incredibly power empowering and controlling, uh, but it's also like. Not very good for you long term in terms of your psyche. Yeah. That's a pretty horrible thing to it's do. It's not very good at enhancing relationships. Wait, let me finish my thought. Okay, sorry. sorry. Go for so, it. So, one of the big misnomers is that when you practice meditation, you don't want to be the guy in the lowest position that just doesn't care or is just passive. That That's a big misconception about that particular path because... What what it really is about is it's okay for you to have goals. I'm judging that guy too, by the way. That's okay. <laughs> just know that you are. Exactly. Yeah, you just made uh, me aware of that. It's my okay. friend John is bringing awareness. It's to okay my to soul. have goals. It's okay to have uh, desires. Uh-huh. Passion. 
but anything in that realm needs to be tempered with not being attached to the outcome. So be be completely and totally mindful, be focused, have your goals, and only kind of care about the things you can control, really. Mm-hmm. And put it out there. So if you have a goal, you're trying to... That's something I get angry about, too, though, is that I never finish my goals. <laughs> well, I set goals, that could be and okay. I don't reach them, that, and I just get pissed at that myself. Could be okay. It's good to have goals, but, right. but don't attach yourself to the outcome of the goal. And right. that's one of the, one of the lessons that mm. is actually really... It's difficult. It's easier said than done. But but right. if you can get that down, uh, you might be happier. Right. I think one of the one things... Of 10% happier. 10% happier. 10% happier. <laughs> one of the things that... Uh, things like, like yoga and meditation and a lot of uh, new age stuff tends to suffer with is that it's, it's new to the culture and it's being introduced to our culture. And people that are... Introducing things that are counterculture tend to be zealots, and they take mm-hmm. things to extremes. So the picture that you have of somebody that meditates is this extremist who meditates all the time, right. and they're completely zoned out in their brain because right. they're so passionate about it that they feel like, like you know, they can't get enough. And the more they do, the better it's going to make them. But they're you know they're zombies right. because that's what, that's all that they choose to do. Same with like marijuana, right? Like like the people that were. Uh, that we have in our head of the people that are smoking marijuana, the people that are, you know, high all the time, and that's all they do, um, because they were counterculture extremists, and they cared so much. Of, and in order to be countercultural, you have to care about it that much. Right. Uh, and so that kind of is is where that takes you. Whereas you can just take an inhale or two of marijuana and not and not be out of your brain and do it once a week and you can casually use it but ever the icon that everybody's put in their head is the people that they knew 10 years ago the extremists and, and the only people that were around were extremists and the only thing that the extremists did was abuse was Mary take their right? yeah take yeah. their their thing that they were zealous about and do it so much that it was bad for their lives not good for their lives right. Right. those are the only ones that, that were out front about it right I mean I I grew up knowing a family member who by my guess of finding significant amounts of marijuana in their home at a visit once, knowing that they probably used a lot, but they were a very highly successful business person, but they weren't living the, I mean, we're talking, you know, early 90s, you're coming out of the 80s where every representation in media was, either the movie was a pothead movie or the the single guy who was using it was a pothead, or you had the people who were just trying it for the first time. Like those are the only kind of people that were ever expressed in public circles. And you have the same thing with with. It's funny that we still have that label of new age. Like <laughs> didn't that start like in the seventies and eighties? Yeah. And you know, meditation was weird in the eighties. Like I remember growing up and thinking, oh, that's something new to the Midwest, and nobody that I know does it in the middle of the Bible Belt. But it's like ubiquitous with culture now. It's it's not new. Yeah, it's anymore. becoming more, and, and, and it's taken from a culture that's got six thousand years exactly. of history and roots. There's literally nothing new about it at all. That's something I've been challenging some Christians with too. Is it, even myself when it comes out of my mouth or spirit is is the new agey. Well, that sounds new agey. Well, let's explore that because maybe what you're talking about is actually really really old agey. 
or what you said, John, a few times, what I love, I quote you on that too, I'm going to steal that, is, uh, you know, Christianity is an Eastern religion. Yeah, <laughs> forget that, because most of the roots that we know in in our culture here in the United States or in Western culture is, you know, it's Protestant, 500-year-old stuff from, you know, Luther mm-hmm. or... Calvin, Calvin or, yeah, yeah, I can name all the reformers that I wanted to, but that's you know, and then so anything competing with that in the seventies or eighties because that was that dominant, you know, Christian culture is pagan. So I got a word for that; it's called pagan, right? Which is also funny because that's what Jesus was accused of being when he started healing people. I love the the dude who go who was blind and he's he's healed, and they're like. Well, is it the right theology? He's like, I don't know. I was blind and now I see. No, I see. Like, yeah. That's all I got. I, I love them. That's something that's that's interesting that I've experienced a lot in my life too, growing up in the church. Um, the I've sat through a lot of sermons about anger. It, it's been mm. a reoccurring theme, and I think that's because people struggle with it. Right. Um, some of those have been specifically directed at men because they frequently struggle with it more often. Um, there's not a lot of practical help in those sermons. No. It, you know, it, it really boils down to, A, you shouldn't be because the Bible has some things to say about anger. We can proof text that all day long. And then, B, it just goes back to the cliche, well, whatever your version that, that your particular light of Christianity translates, well, lay it at Jesus' feet, pray about it, you know, give it to God, whatever catchphrase. it to the cross. Oh, yeah. yeah, God is angry. You know, there's that too. So, so, but that's not super practical. And and then you see guys who continue to struggle with that for years, hearing those sermons, trying to do it, and it it's not working. Yeah. And then you've got this faith crisis, and then you're asking yourself, well, does it really work? That dissonance is installed. And then, yeah, and and so yeah. then you're like, okay, well, I'm still going to believe, but I'm really going to stop doing that because it's not working. And you take up something like meditation, and a few short sessions, you have that space John's talking about where you can recognize the anger growing, where you can respond instead of react, and all of a sudden this ancient Eastern tradition is functional and has nothing to do with spiritualizing. And and C.S. Lewis touched on some of that too. Like He would say, my life changed when I stopped praying with words, you know, which is meditation, right? That's one thing I hope that's changing in the Protestant world, and I think it is by, you know, things I've interacted with, is Christianity has a deep well of contemplation and and mysticism and meditation, and it seems like people are starting to discover that now within a Christian framework, and that is the catalyst for healing. It's, you know, not going to be a sermon. I, I know that faith comes from hearing. <laughs> you know, there's these proof texts. Hearing what? Well, <laughs> the word of God, or I, I don't know. No, I don't. <laughs> but, and, 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 I'm, and I'm fine with with scripture and, and the word being preached. Yeah, me too. And, and that's th- that's good. But when that's when, when that's everything, when it doesn't solve it, the it, it's all it's all in the head. It's all yeah. cognitive. You're not going down into the soul. You're not Bye. going down to the body. I mean, maybe you are somewhat because words are impactful and powerful. But but on a deep level of sitting with it and breathing, it's it doesn't require 
cognition, it requires feeling. It requires sitting with it, breathing with it. If you go back to what Derek was talking about at the beginning, if you're engaging your faith all through learning and study mm -hmm. and listening to, to sermons that take up most of the church service because that's why we're all there, all you're doing is engaging your frontal cortex. It's all you're doing. Yeah. It's all, it's, it's all about knowledge and understanding. Yeah. And some of that dissonance isn't solved, though, and I think that's what makes people crazy. Is is uh, like my friend Jim Anderson said in that interview. He said, "I think that people would start walking away from the church because they're sick of feeling crazy, right? By sermons that aren't solving that dissonance." So you're told that God is. I just listened to a sermon recently by a, a guy in Texas. I really used to like a lot. Chandler, uh, Matt Chandler, yeah. You like Chandler? I, you know, I, I like him, but he's still he's got yeah. present tense. I, I like. Well, so you know, listen. Here's, <laughs> so here's what here's what he said. <laughs> here's what Chandler said that that had me thinking about what Arthur said about about not solving that cognitive dissonance and making people feel crazy. So he talks a lot about grace. He talks a lot about being forgiven, but he also said something about this topic of anger that I, I agree with, but the way he went, what he went into just after that, I'm like, oh, it's more of his projection, I believe. So what he said is that when there's great love, kind of like what you were talking about earlier, when there's great love, the higher the frequency of the anger that pours out of that great love. And then he went into talking about sin and how God hates sinners and how God's ready to bring the hammer down. Oh, yet there's grace, though. You know, and then all oh, well, the sermons land on this, but God is forgiving and God is loving. And I don't know, we talked about branding in churches and how much of that is, hey, come to our thing because we'll solve that dissonance for you. You keep coming here. Like, there's no real feeling of logically understanding what that means. Like, and I think that wherever he was at when he said that, is, is, is he still tracking with a, an angry father somewhere back oh, there? Oh, yeah. Where God is this angry dad that, yeah, he loves me, but I know he's going to bring the hammer down. And that's love, <laughs> right? Big question mark. Well, so, you, you said the greater the love, the greater the anger. I think of it as the greater the disappointment, <laughs> the greater the anger. Um, I was... Do you think, so you think that in, in a lot of Protestant circles that God is, is constantly disappointed um, in us... Is well, that yeah, sort of what God, you preach, do you believe? God's position towards you is is wrath. I mean, you're destined for hell if it were not for Jesus, if it weren't for you being snow-covered dung, as Luther said. Right. You know? When God sees you, he sees Jesus if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, and that's why you're saved. But but you on your own, you by yourself, that's right. that's just wrath. Yeah, that's that's the paradigm. That that's what I had to process is Jesus as the acquittal attorney, right? <laughs> like Jesus walked in and he gave you an acquittal. Like there's no relationship in that. I gotta say there's that not a whole lot of love in that. It's just like paperwork. It's like <laughs> what's that? There's this cartoon I gotta send you. I could link it to the to the page, but it yeah. it's like it's kind of like. With, what the, I just, with the courtroom analogy and, and God, God's sitting there and he just puts this guy in hell but if you believe my son died for you you know and then the bailiffs start beating up Jesus and right. it, it's pretty funny uh, anyway sorry I think the danger or the not the danger but the there's a place you can take that idea of Jesus covering your sins and that is I'm hiding underneath Jesus and but not in a good way like in a like 
I'm hiding my identity. Like who I am as a person is shit, mm -hmm. and so I need to to hide hide who I am as a person underneath Jesus. But that's not. There can't be love that comes out of that. Like that doesn't make you feel loved. No. It makes you feel protected, I guess, like safe-ish. But it doesn't give you a place where you feel like you're accepted. Or in relationship, right? right. Or is right. That, that's yeah. what breaks you're just that squeaking, dualism. You're just squeaking the through, relationship. right? Yeah. It's you're transactional. Yeah. You're sneaking in, and I'm glad that, that there's a loophole. God doesn't really want you here, but... It's you know, transactional. But now I have to. <laughs> you, like, damn it, you're such an asshole in life. But you got Jesus on, so... Yeah, and I, so I sent Jesus, so... You figured out the loop. Well, and it, 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 also oh, stops, it also stops that healing... <clears throat> And feeling, not, I mean to rhyme it, but it stops those things from happening because when you're hiding behind that, when you're hiding behind, hey, I'm in pain, I'm hurting, my circumstances are troubling me, but God's good, God's sovereign, God's in control, yeah, okay, but let's let's get underneath some of that stuff. Yeah. No, no, God's good, God's got it, God's in control. I don't know what he's doing, but he's in control. Yeah. But, but, but pretend he isn't just for a second. Yeah, let's, go, let's get to the heart. Where really, where are you? God's in control, but where are you? Oh, God's got it. Now, let's talk about how you really don't believe that. You're, you're just, and, and, and the point is you have to go through death to get to resurrection, and people just want to jump to resurrection and just sit in that and have some kind of good feeling from that. It's, it's like a protective mechanism because it stops them from really going through the pain yeah. and the healing because they're just, hey, God's good, I don't know, deferring to... And it works for a little while. Like yeah, I think yeah, it works until... That phone call, you know, and everyone's going to have, I mean, anyone's life can change with a phone call, mm -hmm. you know, a really hard fucking day can blast that apart mm -hmm. because as long as you are good enough or you got saved when you were in Bible college or when you went to that retreat, men's retreat or whatever it was. Um, Promise keepers, right? That 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 did it. That gave me the acquittal. I really felt it that time. Um, but when the wheels come off of that, that's when. That's why I said, you know, a few episodes ago, with, with what happened with Arthur, it's so good to go through that. I mean, it's painful as fuck. But that that image of God had to change. Yeah. It's because that's just not. Well, it's growing up. It's not up. relationship. It's not healthy. It's not. That's it's growing up. And and in the vein of growing up, I was thinking about you talking about Henry Rollins. I Henry Rollins. I'm not even exaggerating that much. Pretty much got me through high school. <laughs> what do you mean by that? You've said that a lot. Yeah, dude. Like I just really was into music and and film and and angry expressions of uh, you know. Hardcore movies, hardcore music, just that kind of abrasive, angry, right. very angry, very The Rollins band in the 90s was a lot different than Black Flag in the 80s. Mm, yes, I mean, it was Rollins' own thing, and it had more of a bluesy right. kind of tinge to it. But, it had more messages behind his music than... Well, but here's the thing, though, because I listened to Rollins as a you know 16-year-old boy... And man, I was just tracking with that guy. He's talking about self-respect, self-discipline, and, and all these kind of uh, empowering things. Right. And he's also talking about his anger and his pain, you know. And I was just, yeah, man, I fuck, I get that. That's awesome. And self-respect, yeah, fuck, you know. And 
as I got older, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, when I was 16, he was, like, in his late 30s, early 40s. Like, yeah. And I was identifying with him. Like, I was in the same place as a 16-year-old boy as he was as a 40-year-old man. Right. He should have been beyond that by then. It was weird. That it's because you're an old soul. I don't know about that. I'm not <laughs> saying I'm an old soul at all. <laughs> That's, that statement bothers me, too. I'm just saying that, that I, I hope that, you know... By the time you're middle age or, or 40, maybe anger is less of a struggle. I mean, I'm not saying it has to be. Right. Everyone has their own issues. But but it's like, I mean, come on. I mean, what? You're, you're still pissed off about life? It, it sounds like he's evolved now as he's in his 60s. But, you know, kind of coming to terms with some of that stuff. But but that's the way I was thinking about it with, with Rollins. I had that epiphany a few years ago. And just, what? Like, yeah, he's like... I don't know, 20, 25 years older than I was and just still like... like or, right. or he knew it was easier to sell albums to 16-year-olds yes. than 40-year-olds. Oh, so, <laughs> so he was just writing yes, for a 16-year-old. And, and, and I love Rollins. I mean, he's awesome. There's, I've heard some really interesting interviews he's done. Uh, anyone should go check out his interview with Joe Rogan. That was just fascinating. Yeah, was fascinating conversation. Yeah. Uh, he was on Ari Shafir's podcast. Again, just the guy's fascinating. He's well traveled. He speaks well. He writes well. I just, but, but you know, when he, I don't comedian know, actor, he's he, he's he's a modern Renaissance man in a lot of ways. I yeah. just don't know. Things will make you angry. Circumstantial things will set you back. Um, well, what about this question? Is 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 anger a young man's emotion? Is an underlying thing. Not to say that an older, middle-aged guy can't get angry, but it's an underlying thread through Statistic your life. Statistic probability. Yeah. Type of thing. Like, yeah. As an older man, <laughs> it takes a again. lot of it takes a lot of energy. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> to be angry. <laughs> to be, yeah, yeah, it takes a lot of energy. <laughs> Not. Just the initial explosion, so to speak, but the fallout. Yeah. And to it takes a lot out of you. You yes. have a nap after. Yeah. I do. <laughs> and make up sex doesn't do it. It make is exhausting. So is that for me is a lot of I think knowing what's down that rabbit trail, uh, I can head that off. Yeah. Um, yeah. last night. Um, that could have gone several ways. And I would have been exhausting because I would not be here tonight because I'd had to be home rehashing and discussing. And why don't you understand that? Right. So as an older man, that's it. It, it, it does, I think, gets lesser because it's so freaking exhausting. And you also, I think, you know, a big I part... Have to pee. <laughs> <laughs> a big part of anger is frustration, and a big part of frustration is a bit of arrogance that you have the whole thing figured out. Right. And I think as you yeah. start to get older, you realize, whoa, there's way more, you know, as you get older, all of a sudden, the things that you don't know grow. You know, the, the things that you didn't know when you are teenager were very small according to you right but as you get older the things that you don't know are bigger and bigger and bigger and then all of a sudden you start to realize that that anger may not necessarily be justified because because now you have a broader perspective on on the things that used to make you frustrated now you can just see like oh that's like that's just kind of the unfortunate way the world works there's nothing you know i'm not i'm not actually smarter than everybody and it's not that everybody else doesn't see this, it's that they see it and they just know that there's not an easy solution like I thought there was going to be an easy solution. Right. What about you, Chuck? What kind of music uh, kind of got you blood pumping, so to speak, when you were younger? 
I listened to a lot of Ozzy. Yeah. <clears throat> Which was kind of before your time. That's well before my time. Like, like classic my, rock to you, right? Ozzy's great, by the yeah. way. Ozzy. Yeah, my, my dad was in the music industry for the longest time. Um, sometime after my brother was born, um, he was. they were trying to find a new drummer for his band. And they went to some bar to audition this drummer, and what they didn't realize was the rest of the band was actually being auditioned for the drummer. <clears throat> and they played, and the guy laid all these contracts out. You know, it was like, okay, sign, and we're going to go on tour kind of thing. Um, he was rated, like, number two by the Pittsburgh Symphony, which to even be rated was, was a big deal. That was a big fucking deal. Um and so the, there's a lot of root there from my father, just the shit that he listened to. And then I picked up the guitar, and <clears throat> so there's a lot of Ozzy. Um, yeah, the uh, Blizzard. Yeah, <laughs> Guns and if we do if we do a uh, if we do an episode on marijuana, we got to play that that Sweet Leaf. I love that. That opens up like. I love that, man. Here's another one for intellectual. Uh, we'll throw the intellectual anger out there. This is a, a little conversation I was involved in, and somebody said that that it, it felt kind of judgy, but so I wanted to explore it. When somebody says, "Well, you were implying," dot dot dot, like behind that is is a bit of judgment. Right? Right? It's an assumption. It's an assumption. Well, Derek, you were implying, so if I'm explaining something, what I was talking about was the news media. I said, how much of this is stirred up by the 24-hour news cycle? Talking about Trump and North Korea, right? Everybody's freaking out. We're going to go nuclear war. And I said, I just threw it out there. Like, imagine... 24-hour news cycle, like when the Kennedy-Cuban missile crisis happened. Because you go watch CNN where they have the big red letters and like the headline at the bottom of the video. Imagine that shit (laughs) during the the Cuban missile crisis. Like, people would have been... I mean, people already were pretty freaked out. They're digging holes in their yard, making bomb shelters and stuff. But the 24-hour news cycle, I think, does a lot to really stir up anxiety and anger in our culture and I wasn't blaming um, the news cycle on that. I think a lot of people were going after Trump. And I'm not a Trump supporter. I didn't vote for the man. I didn't vote for Hillary either. But it, it almost sounded like they thought I was just because I, I was saying, hey, a vote this for isn't the that I bad. for Hillary, by the way. <laughs> I think on, yeah. I made a comment on Facebook about this a while ago. I think our culture has a significant addiction to outrage. Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah. like it takes very little, and it's it's guaranteed to suck people in. No, like, it gets very, clicks, man. There's very it's few things that get clicks like outrage does. Because not only are you clicking it, but you're you just wrote a thesis. And the whole thing's a fucking echo chamber too, right? Like, <laughs> like yeah. you, there's nothing else that can get somebody to sit in their computer and type for half an hour. <laughs> like, like, like all of a sudden, like, like all of a sudden, they look up and you know they're sitting at their work computer or whatever, and like two hours are gone because they've just been typing furiously at this person <laughs> who didn't read a damn thing that they typed out. Right. Um, but but that just sucks people in so intensely and and the more people feel it the more you know because you get do get a rush from it you get a deep rush from it uh but and, and it is just it's just a crack like like it's right. just 
And, and I don't think there's much more in our culture that, I mean, we're just so addicted to it. Yeah. And it's, well, the reason we are is it's a dopamine response. Right. Yeah. Which is what Scott Adams wrote a whole blog post about it. Scott Adams, the writer of Dilbert. Fascinating guy. And, and he describes the American people that are attached to the 24-hour news cycle as dopamine puppets. Right. <laughs> See yeah. that? That's what I was saying in my post. Exactly that thing. I didn't call them dopamine puppets, but I, I said... Uh, it's called a dope fiend. Like, it's the same thing. Same I thing. said, how much of the news media... media means dopamine. That's what it's referring to. I said, how much of the modern news media is like the dentist's, right? You go to the dentist's office, and he brings out that hook, and he starts feeling around for a cavity. And if we can hit that outrage button and get you to go, ah, right? Like, that's a win for, for the modern... To win for the dentist, too. That's $600. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's what I always say. There should be like a little sound effect every time they do that. It's like cha-ching should go off like in the background. It's like playing Operation, except when you hit the side, you're winning. And you just get a huge amount of money. Oh, we got to put a big chunk of silver and gold right there. Well, buddy. politics, along with the 24-hour news cycle, is the, the whole thing prize on your fear. Right. I mean, that's what it's about is is, hey, uh, if you vote for this guy, this is going to happen, so vote for me because I'm you know, the functional savior to get you out of it or something. People um, don't respond to positive emotions. They respond to negative emotions. Fear, yeah. anxiety. So if you actually want to get them to do something, they, if you want to get them to push a button that says vote, you know, when it actually comes to being in the booth, they're going to listen to their negative emotions, not their positive emotions. Exactly. And I think a lot of them, too, are looking for confirmation as far as transformation right. or, even, or even information. That's one of the things I'm trying to do is, is what I read and what I listen to is a broad spectrum. Yeah. Gathering from all sources. Yeah. And understanding. That's why I can, I can listen to Chandler, but I can also read Rob Bell. No, it's good. Yeah. Because there's stuff in all of them that I'm, I'm gathering in, and then it also allows me a greater dialogue. Yep. Yeah, that's what something I, when I listened to that, that Chandler sermon, I think I, I, I didn't, like, you know, I, I'll admit this, I didn't listen to the whole thing. But when I hit that part, I thought, oh, wow, I wonder what, I wonder what his dad was like. Mm -hmm. You know, that's somewhere I went. Because I think that's, again, that's, he's projecting some of maybe what he came up in mm -hmm. onto. He was an army kid. His, his dad was an uh, army. But then my cynical side says, you know, he's trying to get people in the door. Mm -hmm. If we can get you addicted to our brand of yeah. Christianity, yeah. then we can keep you here. You know, that anger thing shows up a lot with that father wound or that father mm. theme on both sexes. Oh yeah, oh, daddy issues. Man. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. People have mommy issues too, but but the dad, it's the daddy issues that tend to make you angry. I don't yeah. know. I spent <laughs> <laughs> at least usually. Yeah. At least usually, it seems like it. Well, there's exceptions to, to everything. There's always exceptions. I <clears throat> like I spent a lot of my adolescence and, and teenage years just hating my father, just being so angry, so judgmental. And then as I became an adult, I empathized with him. Like mm -hmm. yeah, I started to kind of get it. I started to kind of understand him. And yeah. he died when I was very young, so you know he wasn't even there to really defend himself against my my mind's attacks or, you know, my venting or my outrage of, of what a weak, pathetic human being he was. But then as I became an adult with my own family, it's like, oh, I get it. You know, so anger can turn into empathy with, with age, hopefully, sometimes. Do you remember what he was like when he was angry? Like when my dad was angry, I finished that sentence. Or he... My 
I mean, like, I was spanked and stuff. It wasn't, I don't, you know, by today's standards, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, spanking was pretty common. You were little, man. He, you lost your dad when you were 12. I was 12. I was, but it wasn't like... It's hard, man. I think for him, for, for us, it was more like, uh, I don't think he... We're pretty different. And I don't think he knew how to relate to me well. Right. You know? And um, I've talk, I think I've talked about that here before, too. Uh, so some of that's just a relational thing. And um, so it's, it's, I was angry at my father, but that wasn't like in response to him being like necessarily overbearing or overly angry with me. I don't think he knew how to relate to me well, but that was he wasn't like I wouldn't describe him as an overbearing person that beat me profusely or, or yelled at me profusely or something. Right. I mean, he, he was I think he tried to love me as best he could. Right. I think he did love me. Um, but, uh, um, he consciously didn't know, but, but I think that, that as, as I, because of some, of some stuff with, you know, his marriage, like, like, like my parents' marriage, um, just some indiscretions that he had, just some ways in which he dealt with my mother, dealt with life. I, I was really judgmental. Like, Hey, you know, you're, you're fucking pathetic. You should have had your shit together more. Mm. And did you say that? Well, I was. I, I didn't even know half the stuff till after he was dead. Right. You know? But then but that's like, something that came out. Of you, th- but right? it came out just in family yeah. conversations. Like, whoa, he he did that, or, or he was wow, what a dick. Right. Well, but life's hard. I mean, yeah. you know, and he's human. In, and he's human. And put yourself yeah. in his shoes. So again, yeah. like sometimes perspective. <clears throat> can change anger into empathy and age can do that too, you know, along yeah. with the perspective that comes with it. Yeah. That's something about Chandler too. I feel like saying that, like, I don't think that he's like, I don't think a lot of pastors are consciously going after people like some kind of scam where they're trying to get them into their thing. I think subconsciously people do that in the religion business because that's part of the weight of it is you have a building, you have a staff, you have bills. We need to keep, the nickels and noses coming and some of that stuff sells whether they're conscious of it or not that's why a lot of people attend to use that word um, I like Chandler honestly yeah me I too. think he's I mean I remember seeing him at Mars stuff. Hill when he came to Mars yeah, Hill I'm like really? wow this guy's awesome yeah, yeah the doctrinal stuff is iffy but the thing he always had over Driscoll is he's like seemed like a genuine and a soft person. Like, he seems like a soft person. He can admit his faults. Yeah, and yes, he's very humble, yeah. whereas Mark was yeah, not very humble. And uh, and that's something I always appreciate about Matt. I think Matt's correctable, and he's willing to listen to other perspectives. And well, because they had that big issue down there about some type of something in their staff, and he owned it. Right, you yeah. Know, he came out front. Another dude I really like uh, is Francis Chan, who walked away from a mega church in Southern California. John so true. I'm sitting here twitching in a corner. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. You're, you can like who you want, man. It's a free country. <laughs> I still you love you. Yuck your yum. Yeah. <laughs> yuck your yum. Yeah, don't be right. yum. So who the fuck's Mark Driscoll? You don't need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Some jackass. Yeah. Some guy that Chandler fired from his own organization. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. He fired him from his own organization. X-22. X-29. Yeah, 29. Yeah, 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 it's, it's like, called Mark's Hill. <laughs> when you were 
were yeah. talking, John, when you were talking <laughs> about Hill. the thoughts that you had for your dad, um, it hits with me in the realm of I say that to myself a lot. Um, just going through the shit that I'm going through and, you know, the... <clears throat> I always beat myself up about, you know, my failed marriage or, you know, that I haven't dealt with my shit yet. So obviously that's why, you know, I am where I am. And it's like, fuck, I'm just a piece of shit. Because, mm. you know, I haven't dealt with the fact that I was molested when I was a kid. And if I would have dealt with it then, then, you know, maybe my marriage would be better. It's just weird being there, you know, saying mm-hmm. that to myself. And I'm proud of you, man. Me. You're dealing with it. I was 38. Before I told anybody, thirty fucking eight, you know, jerking off for years at porn and then not saying anything about that, and then you know seeing prostitutes and getting to that whole cycle. Before I finally got to the point where I thought, you know, I need some help. Like I wish I was the guy who went and got help a lot earlier. You know, I would have caused a lot less damage. My wife, I went through a lot of pain in the economy of my not dealing with my shit. Was there anger in that? Was that one of the underlying Towards myself or? Uh, Just in the behavior, be it towards yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's all, yeah. It's it's it's, uh, like inside-out anger. It's like internal bleeding. I think a lot of sexual compulsive behavior is the internal bleeding of anger. Like it's not coming out, like you're not hitting stuff or yelling at the boss so much. But it's all just internalized, and the way that that comes out. And orgasm is a very powerful thing. It's much like an angry outburst um, in its evolutionary savageness, I guess you could say. You guys, everyone here, has seen Fight Club? Mm-hmm. Great, yeah. like one of my favorite. Movies. That's another thing I met about when I first started going. To, when I first started dealing with this issue, and I walked into AC3, the, the guy who I'm going to have on the next podcast is a, a pastor that I met at this church, and I, because I couldn't afford a real counselor, I'm at this fucking church, of shit I don't believe anymore. Mm-hmm. That's where I was at. Um, he had a big poster of Fight Club on his door, like <laughs> the movie poster for Fight Club on his door, and that was something helpful that's for me. Cool. Oh, well, that's different, that's you good. know? There's that scene <laughs> where... hard movie. There's that scene uh, where uh, the Ed Norton character... Just goes nuts and pulverizes uh, Jared Leto, and yeah. I mean, just unleashes and bloody pulverized face. And and the Brad Pitt version of Tyler Durden asked Ed Norton, you know, why'd you go? What'd you go psycho for? And he says, I wanted to destroy something beautiful. And when I first saw that, my own creative interpretation of that is like that's pornography. Uh-huh. That's the way I've always interpreted porn is I wanted to destroy something beautiful. And I think that's what pornography does. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's destroying and objectifying something beautiful and kind of destroying it in, in a way. I don't know. It's through my own. It's like beauty it. without relationship or or desecrating that. Yeah. which is meant to be more meaningful. Something more to it, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, do we put that in the bag or what? Sure. Why are somebody using my plane? Arthur, was that, was that the point? Well, let me, you know what? Uh, did you have something to say, Arthur? I... No, I think John was just trying to pass the buck. <laughs> I, I wanted to read this, which I found really helpful. Um, it's by Nadia Boltz Weber, oh. and it helped me really with the way I was viewing God and, and coming out of this God as an acquittal attorney 
um, Jesus as not really wanting relationship, but just, you know, this kind of bipolar God who over here he's angry and he's killing, you know, thousands of people. And then over here you got Jesus who's tender and kind and loves you and gave you an acquittal. Um, this is this is Nadia Bolsweber's quote, and I love this. God is not a divine child abuser sending his little boy Jesus to take a beating on our behalf. God is not a cigar-chomping loan shark demanding his pound of flesh from his kid. That's God hanging on the cross, being known by his actions, demonstrating love by saying, I would rather die than be in the sin-accounting business another moment. What if God isn't the cause of all the bad things that are happening, but he's actually bearing the weight of them? That brings me to tears a little bit. Yeah, I get choked up on that one. <clears throat> when you guys were talking about that, um, that was me for the longest time. The Jesus didn't fulfill all of everything because I wouldn't have gone through the shit that I went through. So mm-hmm. I needed to suffer because my sins were so much greater than what Jesus could bear on the cross. Mm-hmm. Or... So, you know, God's giving you an acquittal, but not for this. You, you know, there's something in your life that you still have to have a punishment for. Yeah, and circumstances are proving that out. Yeah. Right, yeah. I feel God that, too. sucks. Yeah. Yeah, that's a false, evil God that has to die. Um, but he got trunk collected, so... What do you want your world to look like? What do you want it to be? Do you know that the world has two sides and nobody is free? Did your mama come from Mexico? Papa come from Palestine? Sneaking all through Syria, crossing all the borderlines? Let down the people in. Listen to your women Stop killing black children Make America great again Let down the people in Listen to your women Stop killing black children Thanks for being a loyal punk theology listener all the way to the end. Look at you! Awesome. My hat's off to you. Our hats are off to you. Would you go the extra step, the extra mile, the extra, I don't know, 100 feet, and leave a review of this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you listen to podcasts? It would help us out tremendously. It would help the cause of the show to... um, it moves it up in the rankings, so we would appreciate that. Till next time. Oh, and Punk Theology is the sole property of Digital Audio Project LLC, who is responsible for its content. Throw out the legal shit out there. There you go. Later.